So, this morning, it's going to be quite hard-hitting, it's going to be quite challenging. In fact, it's going to make people squirm a bit. It's going to make you feel uncomfortable, because today we're only, only going through about three verses, but they're probably three verses that I've struggled with the most in preparing a preach. Never have I grappled so much with a piece of scripture as much as I've grappled with this one. This morning we're going to be discussing discipleship. And I think that discipleship is something that if we get right, the impact on us, the impact on those around us, the impact on those who are new, or even non-Christians, can be absolutely phenomenal. And I want, to be, I want to be really honest with you this morning. I want to share my own struggles with discipleship. So let's kick off, shall we? So in the 40 days between Jesus' death and resurrection, and his ascension to heaven, he left his disciples with these words. Matthew 28, verse 18 to 20, says this, I've been given all authority in heaven and on earth. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the Father the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach these new disciples to obey all the commands I have given you, and be sure of this. I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Now this here is a mission statement. This is a superior mission statement. I work for the prison service, and I've been working for the prison service for about 13 and a half years, we have our own mission statement, which is only about five words long, and it is preventing victims by changing lives. But this statement right here is far superior than that. Because what this is, this is a command that is sandwiched between two promises. And it answers the question, why do we exist? You know, what are we here for? We exist to make disciples, to continue the good work that God is doing here on earth. And so I'm not going to be talking about going, I'm not going to be talking about baptizing, and I'm not going to be talking about teaching because I think those are three things that are quite obvious. I want to concentrate on one word here, and that's make. Making disciples. What does it mean to make disciples? Now, if I'm honest, this is something that I struggle with. As an introvert, I like my own space. I like my own company. I love time to myself. You know, I find 
Spending time with people, exhausting. You know, I struggle at home, being married and having two children, two young kids. I'm a wanted man. My time is in demand. You know, I struggle at work too. As a prison manager, I manage a house block of 200 prisoners. They're detox prisoners. They're detoxing of drugs and of alcohol. You know, ask anyone who's worked with those kinds of people before. They are needy. They are demanding. I line manage 34 staff from different backgrounds, different races, different upbringings, different skills. I manage graduates, and I also manage school dropouts. Now, not to mention that at times I can work a 15-hour day, sometimes managing the entire prison. I'm responsible for incident management, attending every incident and resolving them. You know, in one day alone, and I want to be absolutely sensitive when I say this, because I'm aware that there are people in church, maybe it's your first time, maybe it's your hundredth time, but there may be people here this morning who've experienced similar things and similar situations. But I've dealt with drug use, I've dealt with fights, I've dealt with stabbings, I've dealt with fires, I've dealt with self-harm, I've dealt with people who've made serious attempts on their lives. And on one occasion, I had someone die on me. Now, I'm not saying this to shock you. I'm not saying this because I want you to feel sorry for me. I just want to be real with you. That's reality for me. And that can be reality for some of us here this morning. You know, life is messy. You know, sometimes I don't know how to just be, let alone go and make disciples. Add in church, then you've got worship team commitments. We lead two youth life groups, which is great. Last year, finished a two-year course in the academy, and as well as preaching commitments. You know, when things go well, I think great. But when things are not going well, when you have to watch the people you love, the people you spend time with or care about suffer, then that's when life sucks. You know, this scripture, this scripture is not conditional. It doesn't say, go and make disciples when things are going great. It doesn't say, go and make disciples when you have the time or the energy. No, this scripture is unconditional. In fact, it is damn right confrontational. Because how can we... Go and make disciples 
if we haven't even got our lives together. Because, church, we don't have to have our lives together to make disciples. So as we continue our 40 Days with Jesus series and focusing on the things that Jesus said and did from his resurrection to his ascension, just want to pull out three things from this scripture. I want to talk about what it means to be a disciple, what prevents us from making disciples, and how can we disciple better. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your presence with us this morning. Father God, I thank you just for the reminder of how much your son Jesus has done for us on the cross. We thank you for the truth of your word. We thank you that we have freedom. We have freedom in you. That we have a brand new identity. Lord, I pray this morning, will you prepare our hearts for your truth and will you continue to mould us and shape us and change us into the likeness of your son Jesus. Amen. So, if we can move to the next slide, I want to talk to you about being a disciple. What does it mean to be a disciple. Well, being a disciple is someone who pleases God. This isn't just for some of the time or most of the time. This is all the time. This is every day. This is realizing that you are planned for God's pleasure. That is true worship. You know, being a disciple means being an active member of the church. Again, this is every day. This is understanding that we are formed to be part of a family. And that's true fellowship right there. You know, being a disciple is learning to behave more like Christ every day. No, realizing that we are created to become like Christ. That is true discipleship. Being a disciple means serving sacrificially within the church. It's knowing that we are gifted for service It's about sharing God's love and forgiveness and hope with people. And that is true mission. Now, church, being a disciple or discipleship as a whole starts with us. It's got to start with us. It's the foundation of discipleship. Now, if we get this right... We are 80% of the way there. And I wonder how many of you can relate to this this morning. I wonder how many of you can identify with those. Are you someone 
that pleases God every day? Are you an active member of the church? And active is the key word there. What are you doing in church? Are you behaving like Christ every day? I know I'm not. Do you serve sacrificially within the church? And lastly, probably the most challenging one, how much are you sharing God's love and his forgiveness and hope with people around you? You know, a disciple is a learner. A disciple is a follower. A disciple is a trainee. You know, when Jesus called his disciples, when he called them to be fishers of men, they learned from him. We need to learn how to be holy. I think we learn how to obey God, how to love people, and how to advance God's kingdom. Church, it's about learning how to live as sons of God from the Son of God. So what prevents us from making disciples? I've called this section Cuffs and Chains. Working in a prison service, we use chains and we use cuffs. And we don't chain people, those days are gone. But we do, chain, uh, we do chain like gates or doors to prevent access, to prevent unauthorised entry. And we use cuffs to de-escalate people's behaviour. Cuffs are a great de-escalation tool for de-escalating violent and aggressive behaviour. So one of the things that can hold us back, that holds me back as well, is a lack of gospel knowledge. Now, I think that we don't share our faith because we misunderstand our mission. You know, we don't know enough about it. I think that we don't know enough about the message of the gospel. You know, how many times have we heard the gospel being preached or read about it? You know, if you're here for the first time this morning, this is your first, perhaps. If this is your hundredth time, then you've heard it a hundred times. And yet, I think many of us struggle to be able to talk or even explain or articulate the gospel. You know, who can tell the difference between mercy and grace, wisdom and discernment? You know, I think, and I know that I'm guilty of this, that we're able to quote scriptures but not fully explain them. Psalm 119, verse 105 says, Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. Now, God's word brings light into our dark situations. John 8, verse 31 to 32 says, If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples. 
and you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. What if we were so in love with the gospel message? What if we never lost our awe and wonder? What would happen? Would we be passionate about sharing the gospel? Would we be better equipped, perhaps to deal with the different situations that we're facing in the church right now? What if the first thing we did this morning was to read our Bible instead of looking at Facebook? I've got some interesting stats about Facebook. You know, Facebook's getting quite a lot of bad press at the moment. Facebook is accessed by 2.2 billion active users at least once a month. That is incredible. 50% of 18 to 24-year-olds go on Facebook when they wake up. On average, people spend about 20 minutes on it. And that's not 20 minutes a day. That's 20 minutes for every time they access it. So if they go on it in the morning, perhaps mid-afternoon, before they go to bed, that's an hour you spent on social media. Every 60 seconds on Facebook, 510 1,000 comments are posted, 293 statuses are updated, and 136,000 photos are uploaded. Church, if we want to be serious about making disciples, something needs to change. We need to start feeding ourselves on the Word of God. Otherwise, it's questionable about what kind of gospel we are sharing. Next is fear. You know, I think that we don't share our faith because we're ashamed of our identity. You know, what will others think of me? What if they don't like me or my family? What if I get passed on that promotion? What if my child's not invited to that birthday party? No, we're afraid of missing out. Oh, someone new has come along and taken my friend away. What if I'm not invited to that church gathering? Because I hold a different view to healing than they do. You know, I think sometimes... We don't want to lose friendships or be seen as uncool. But church, if we want to be serious about making disciples, we must understand what the gospel demands. And it demands that we die to ourselves. The late great preacher, Billy Graham, said this, the cross of Christ is confrontational, but it's one we must all confront. It's a question about what we value most. 
the limitless grace of the gospel that brought us out of our sin into a life of freedom, into a life of hope, into a life of love, of a fleeting approval of those around us. Next I want to talk about is apathy. I think that we don't share our faith because we don't realise that we have a mission. Now, I think that we just don't care about lost people. I know at times I haven't. We'd never admit it, but the problem is our lives reveal it. How much time do we spend with non-Christians? Do we make time to spend with them? How often do we pray for the lost people in our streets, in our towns? You know, at times, lost people can be a low priority. Now, we can blow off the mission of God, and we can think that making disciples is something that we should do if we have the time. You know, 2 Thessalonians 1, verse 9 says this about the lost. They will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out from the presence of the Lord and the glory of his might. That is hard hitting, that is. And we could take it one step further and personalise that verse. And we could substitute the word they for the names of our friends, for the names of our family, for the names of our work colleagues. You know, my mum's not a Christian. So to think that my mum will be punished with everlasting destruction and shut out. Yeah, I can't continue that. Because church, if we want to be serious about making disciples, then there's no room for apathy. We've got to up our game. Something I definitely struggle with is a lack of compassion. We don't... I think that we don't share our faith because we misunderstand what it means to be a friend of the world. I think in the career that I work in, working in a prison service, you're exposed to different situations that a lot of people don't face. And it can make you feel a bit hard-hearted. So when I hear of something you know, troubling going on, I'm a little bit blasé about it. And I think that I forget to live, or what it was like to live without Christ. And I think we can all feel that way. We can lack compassion for the lost. You know, when was the last time that we cried out for the salvation of our friends, for the salvation of our family? 
for salvation of our neighbours. You know, remember that number from earlier, from Facebook. 2.2 billion active Facebook users. Do you know how many Christians are estimated to be in the world? This is what I find so fascinating. Is that right now, it's estimated that there are 2.2 billion Christians in the world. Sobering. Because it's taken us as Christians 2,000 or so years to reach the same number that a social media site has achieved in 14 years that it's been up and running. Church technology is moving far quicker than the gospel. And it's not okay. You know, people are lost. In 2012, I remember reading this news story about a 17-year-old boy in China who sold his kidney on the black market for the latest iPad and iPhone. I mean, for a young boy to sacrifice his kidney and ultimately the rest of his life because he suffered kidney failure, I mean, that boy is seriously lost. To sacrifice something that keeps your body working, something that's so valuable, who's willing to part with it for something that is materialistic. It's crazy. But church, that's the kind of people that we have around us. It's the ones we work with. It's the members of our family. You know, I think if we want to be serious about making disciples, we need to come together. We need to unite together. We need to regroup. And we need to up our game. So how can we disciple better? How can we make better disciples? So I call this section... Callings and convictions. When a prisoner is convicted, he is deemed, or she, they are deemed guilty of that offence. Making better disciples is something that I want to be guilty of. First thing we can do is pray together. In the book of Acts, Acts 4, verses 23 to 31, Peter and John had just been released from prison for preaching the gospel. As soon as they're released, what do they do? They gather with other disciples and they pray. They pray. Now, I thought Mike gave a great advert this morning for the prayer meeting. You know, when we pray, God changes things. We invite God's power to come in and affect different situations. You know, the disciples gathered together to pray, and they prayed for boldness. 
And it was a boldness to proclaim the gospel, and it was a boldness to prove it. Second thing we can do is read our Bible. Read the Gospels. You know, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. There's so much truth in them. You know, as I said earlier, Psalm 119, verse 105. Your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. God's word brings light and it brings life into our situations. Now, church, we need to remind ourselves of the truth of the gospel. We need to improve our gospel knowledge. Feed ourselves on the word of God. Second thing, sorry, third thing, we can apply the gospel together. And what does that mean, to apply the gospel? It means to remember the promises of God and apply them into our lives. Apply them into the different situations that we face. It's when we feel angry, when we feel injustice, it's about turning the other cheek. You know, it's about giving when money is short. It's about spending time with people when you know that you've got a hectic day ahead of you. And lastly, it's about proving the power of the gospel. It's believing in the sufficiency of the gospel. The gospel is powerful. The gospel brings life. It's a message of hope. It's a message of reconciliation. It's a message of freedom. It's a message of love. It's a message of grace. It's a message of joy. It's truth. And all we have to do is share it with one another. And be confident that the gospel transforms lives. Now, church, helping others to follow Jesus can't be done without risk. To be discipled, you have to humble yourself. And you have to humble yourself to disciple. Now, making disciples involves difficult things. Saying no, persevering through troubles, knowing when to bear with someone, and actually doing it. It involves a cost, it involves our time, it involves our energy, and it involves our patience. And we can disciple each other. You know, this isn't just about non-Christians. This is about Christians too. No matter where you are in your faith, all of these things we can apply to each other. Now, church is the best place for relationships to grow. You know, we disciple not just through the good times, 
We don't just disciple for our strength, but we disciple for our weaknesses. And right now, we have a family who are going through an incomprehensible situation. They need our love and they need our prayers. And I want to be real here because if God decides to heal Rachel, then amen to that. And if he doesn't, then we can rest in the knowledge, we can rest in the comfort, and we can rest that she will be healed in his presence. Because God is in control and we are not. A good, a good example of discipleship is how our families live their lives. It's opening up their home, it's leading their life group, it's demonstrating their hospitality, their musical giftings. And his seven hearts. And a greater example of discipleship is Jesus Christ. He is our perfect role model of great discipleship. You know, that, that great command that we started with earlier. Oh, sorry, I didn't realize I was going to get a bit upset. That great command that we read earlier, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it's sandwiched between two promises. You know, when Jesus called out his disciples, he called them to be fishers of men. He spent time with them. He sacrificed himself for them. And if you know the bigger picture, when does he start sharing about the cross? When does he start sharing about him giving up his life? Not till they understand who he is. When Simon Peter said, you are the Messiah, the son of the living God. And I've got this great quote by Mark Potter. Says Jesus, like any good fisherman, first catches the fish, then he cleans them. You know, discipleship is challenging. Now, I said at the beginning that I'm an introvert. I love spending time by myself. I find spending time with people exhausting. But it doesn't mean I don't want to do it. And church, this is quite a challenging word to bring, but I want to challenge you even further. Because I want to ask you, what kind of gospel are you sharing? If you spend your time on social media... If, like me, even this morning, when you wake up, 
and you're on social media, you're on your phone, just scrolling through, or you go to bed last night and scrolling through, you'll end up just talking things, social media. You know, if you're tired, if you complain that you're tired all the time, people ask you, how are you? Yeah, I'm tired. Oh, how are you doing today? Yeah, yeah, I'm tired. I'm tired. You're going to preach a gospel of tiredness. Church, if you're stressed, people ask you how you are, how are you doing?